What's up, everybody? This is Ryan Staley, and you are listening to the Sales and Marketing Built Freedom Podcast, where we share with you the underground ninja skills and tactics the top sales and marketing leaders are using to create financial and lifestyle freedom. And the question that everybody is asking is, how do I create financial and lifestyle freedom for me? That is the question, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Sales and Marketing Built Freedom podcast. I got my very special guest with me today, Alex McNaughton. If you haven't met Alex before, he is a virtual CRO, VP of sales, sales trainer, advisor, and is New Zealand's best. So we got him chiming in. I don't even know what Kiwis use, but across the pond, across multiple ponds to join us. (laughs) So welcome, Alex. It's awesome to have you on, man. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for that awesome introduction. And uh, yeah, good to be here. <laughs> yeah, and, and like artificially, it, like I sound smarter because of your accent. So we're we're gonna roll with that, all right, man. So why don't you <laughs> why don't you give some folks um, from the states, or actually, no, we got people listening from all over the world. So I apologize for for everyone. We got people from Spain. We got people from Portugal. We got people from Africa. Everywhere. So why don't you give this worldwide, global, universal audience? a little bit of background about you and kind of how you got to this point and who you are. Cool. Um, so look, my background's in sales, obviously worked across a mixture of Kiwi startups and big US companies. And I guess through that journey was struck by how differently the Americans, how you guys were running your sales and revenue operations compared to how us, Kiwi com- us Kiwis were. Um, and, you know, I guess I noticed that the Kiwis are very immature in that respect. And that's why I started my, my company a couple of years ago. And, you know, sales leaders, we help companies operationalize like key aspects of their sales and revenue organization, um, you know, to cut their sales costs, increase conversion and stop leaving revenue on the table every year. Uh, so worked with just over 70 companies now in the last couple of years um, in either virtual CRO capacities, advisory or training capacities and worked with some cool pre-revenue companies and help them go to like zero to six figures in or six and seven figures in, in ARR um, worked with some kind of slightly later stage companies who are looking to scale up and break into new markets or even some more established businesses who are just looking to do things better or reinvent their current revenue generating approach. Excellent, man. Well, that's, that's a great summary. And it sounds like you got a pretty, pretty wild depth of experience in terms of, the types of companies you work with is there any kind of trends that you see hyper specific let's say let's see from zero to a million in revenue what's what's the primary culprit there that you see people running into i know we spoke about this a little bit before we started but i think it'd be great for uh yeah that's a it's it's a and it might be a little bit of a a new zealand thing um but i would say that but not entirely because you were saying that stuff's happening in the states as well as companies who are in that kind of pre-revenue to million stage tend to focus on marketing first um, and try and figure out sales later on. And what often happens is because marketing can take, take, it can take some time to ramp up to get that inbound engine firing is companies just end up chewing through their runway um, with zero to maybe just a couple of customers scratching around. And what we've seen works so much better 
is to do both or actually have a sales led approach to get those early wins under the belt, build credibility. And that actually helps inbound marketing work better once you have the stories. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a good example is a client of mine, a recent client of mine, Stropfit. And they've got a really cool piece of tech um, all about reducing the challenges with buying shoes online and then the sizing of buying shoes online. Um, it's a really smart piece of tech. Um, it's changing the game in the, in the online retail space. And, you know, we went with a sales-led approach to go from zero to, you know, mid six figures in ARR in, you know, four or five months. And, you know, now that, now that they've got all these stories and awesome results with these clients, now we can go away and like pump up marketing to go from there to that next jump, you know, to get crack mm-hmm. into the seven figures. Yeah. And I mean, don't you think like, as we're kind of talking about this, like I can totally see that. The other thing too is like, and I'm not saying you don't get this, like there's two schools of thought, right? It's like, mm. you know, if you're just really good at content marketing, people will come, the right audience will come, they'll be ready to buy, which is, I think is true, right? But I think I agree with you. There's got to be an outbound strategy or sales-led approach to combo that. And like, I mean, don't you think that the depth of relationships is better to leverage for like testimonials and case studies when there's that, that sales orientated piece on the, on the front end as well? I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, but even just beyond that is why not do both? If you're doing inbound and it's generating you some good leads, why not throw an outbound as long as you've got the resource to support the additional clients? Why not throw outbound in the mix as well? Or why not you know, try and get some more referrals from existing customers and actually um, scale up faster? Um, you know, like I've seen, I've, I, I've gone in and, and at the start of engagements with clients and seen them and they're just focusing purely on marketing and they're getting, you know, one or two leads a month or maybe, you know, two, three, four, five leads, you know, and if you're only converting 10 to 40% of those, you can't build a business that way or you can, but it's going to take you a really, really, <laughs> really long time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so that's probably the, one of the biggest observations. The second one is just not figuring out this kind of sales approach. And not documenting it, not having that playbook. Mm-hmm. Um, and that becomes a real problem when companies start to transition from founder-led selling to building out a team. Because what happens if you haven't actually created the playbook, then everyone's doing it differently. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'll give you kind of an example, and I've seen this play out a few times, um, is you know, what happens is you hire a BDM or you hire an AE or SDR or some kind of sales role. Right. kind of works. You get some results. So you hire another one and you're still getting some results. You hire another one. And then by the time you've got a team of 10, your per rep efficiency is so bad because everyone's doing it differently. There's no standardization across the team. Um, and, you know, I saw this play out really badly in one organization when they had about 30 reps all doing things differently across multiple markets. And long story short, the, a third of the team, a third of the sales team left and revenues plummeted because it was just a mess to, it was a mess for the poor reps to work in. Um, they didn't have the resources they needed. And, and, and then also the client experience suffered on the other end, because depending on whether you got Jeff or Amy or Barry, your experience was totally different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've worked at those companies before. actually it was it was uh one of those things it was an amazing experience for me because it helped me figure i had to figure so much out on my own 
yeah. that I didn't come with like biases of like one of the selling methodologies, like this is the mm. best, this is going to solve all your problems. It was more just like, hey, what does the market respond to? And then kind of adapt and adjust like that, you know? So I can see that totally. So what do you think, um, you know, what, what came to the time in your, in your life where you figured out, you're like, hey, I want to I wanna make the jump from a sales rep to helping run sales organizations for other companies. Like what was kind of like the defining moment in which that happened in, in your career? Yeah. Um, I had kind of a weird sales career where I worked across a multiple different areas of sales. So I did a lot of like channel partnership work, coaching, um, channel partner sales teams on how to sell our stuff. Um, and then I jumped in and did kind of more mid-market enterprise direct BDM type roles. Then I led, you know, and then I led, led teams. And I guess through that journey, noticed a lot of good stuff and a lot of bad stuff. And there was one company in particular where I noticed a lot of the bad stuff. Um, kind of like that example I just gave you a uh, very similar situation to that. Mm-hmm. And that I suppose was one of the Genesis moments of, okay, I need to, you know, there's a problem here in terms of how Kiwi companies are doing things, but basically it happened over a coffee. I was speaking to my buddy um, who's based in Silicon Valley and we were just talking around um why New Z- the New Zealand technology industry isn't our number one export as a nation. It's number three right now. We were talking about why is that not number one? And productivity was one reason, but the, the other glaringly obvious one was we Kiwis just suck at selling, particularly selling at scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my buddy turns to me and he says, hey, why don't you do something about it? You can. And I'm just, and I had a job at the time and I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. We'll give it a go. And I started just doing some consulting on the side of my main job. But then within about three months, I was earning more off my like five hours of consulting a week than I was at my main job. And the, the, uh, and, 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 and the clients started to get some pretty cool results. So I was like, okay, there's something in this. And I just jumped. Yeah. I just jumped full force into it, uh, left my job and the rest is history. That's awesome. I like, I, I think that's great. A, that you, you decided to test it out. You took that person's advice. You're like, yeah, I'm just going to try it out see how it goes. And then you're like, oh, this is awesome. And then having the fortitude to do it. And I think, can we tell everybody listening how young you are as well? Because I think that might. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. I'm 27. I'm pretty young to be doing what I'm doing. And I think probably right at the start, that was more of a challenge because you know, it'd be going in and talking to a CEO or founder of a company or, or, or sales director or something like that and trying to convince them that I could help them. Um, and, you know, the first few comments, look, there were plenty of no's right at the start two years ago. Um, but now that I've got a pretty good track record and I've worked across, you know, over 70 companies and, and most of them actually this year, around 50 this year, um, things, have, things, things are a lot easier and it's it's easy to have those conversations now. Oh, well, I can imagine because you got tons of results now. And I, I mean, here's what I would say. You can tell you're wise beyond your years. I know I've, I've told you that. <laughs> you know, you're, um, you're very well-spoken. You can tell you the way you think of things is, is awesome. However, like what was the emotional journey like when you were first starting trying to trying to work from scratch? Was that tough on you? Um, honestly, no, because I, I, I love pressure. 
So if I'm not challenging myself, I'll be, you know, I'll be bored. I'll be wasting my time on other stuff. So I need to be busy and I need to be doing things that are hard. Otherwise I will just coast. Um, so for me, it's, I just look at it as exciting and, and, and in every, every new client. And, you know, I've worked with so many companies now that I see the same challenges and patterns over and over again. So when I first started out, it was kind of noticing these patterns, but now I've seen that, you know, broadly it's the same for almost all companies up to a point of about 10, 15 million in revenue. They're all facing pretty much the same challenges. Um, and I guess what I've got quite good at now is being able to go in and very quickly within a few conversations actually pick out the key gaps in that person's business and the few levers that we can pull to make some pretty awesome results quite quickly. So, you know, like one example is a, is a client of mine. Um, they're probably like a mid-sized digital marketing agency. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing, amazing client list, like growing rapidly. Um, and they have a great inbound engine, great referrals. But the thing that was missing for them was, was outbound. They just weren't doing it. So we put in place some really basic LinkedIn outreach for Tim, their founder, that I've been running for him. And within, we did a two-week sprint. and We went out to 67 people. We got him 12 meetings in his calendar, which turned into five opportunities within two weeks. And he's turning to me. He's like, dude, why have I never done this before? And I'm like, <laughs> well, I know, but now you can. And, you know, that was six figures of monthly recurring revenue sitting in his pipeline that he never would have seen otherwise. Um, so, you know, there's a recipe now that we can, we can just replicate for the next six months. And that's just going to help them grow faster. So it's just being able to go into an organization and see, okay, what are they doing really well? What's missing? Okay, cool. Let's pull a few levers and, and, and see if we can turn on some other taps here. Yeah, I mean that's that's great that you're able to get that that kind of result that fast, and I mean it shows how powerful outbound is, right? A lot of mm. people, like we were just talking to you earlier, get sexified by the uh, the concept of inbound and and just people are always just buyers showing up, but you know you got to have that balance. And I love what you said about referrals too, because I've been obsessed with referrals lately. What would you say you're seeing is the um, the the biggest gap when it comes to companies with leveraging referrals? Um, just not doing them would probably be the biggest gap is, is, is companies just not asking their customers or even their prospects like, Hey, do you know anyone else who would be a good fit for this? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really, really powerful and relatively low, um, low effort way of getting additional prospects into your pipeline and those prospects by the way convert way higher too because they're warmer because they come from someone trusted so you know my advice would be put in place a basic a basic referral program or even just a basic email template that you can get your reps to flick through to happy customers that they can use as that warm intro for you so basically make referrals easy so don't expect your customer to have to like write out the email for you or think about what to say. Actually give them the script so that they can go away and just use that for you. Makes referrals a lot easier. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, 
That's so true. And then like, I mean, I've seen stats for as much as like now 82 to 84% of the buying process is happening via referral. Like it's starting with a referral. So like I'm seeing that. Um, and yeah, like the enterprise sales summit that I did, that was the reason why I was able to get so many folks just to share those videos and basically promote the event. So I gave each speaker literally three videos from the, the talk, made it super easy for them to share. So all I did was like pop it on and LinkedIn. And as a result, we did that and dripped it out over a three-week period. And we essentially got, I, that ended up getting 1,500 people to attend, like all organically, no paid ads or anything. And so like, I agree, man, referrals is exactly the same way. You got to make it as simple as possible with the least amount of friction so that it's really super, even hyper easy for them to, to spread that. So same, same thing with partners and, and part, building partner channels. It's like, you've got to make it easy for people. And you also have to think, and this was one of the things I learned when I was, um, was running partner channels is you, you've got to get buy-in at every level. If you're trying to do it, have a strong partner relationship that's actually going to work for you. So what companies often do well is they will get the strategic relationship and they'll get it, get everyone up, up top excited. The, the, the partnership deal will be signed. Everything's looking really good. Fast forward six months and nothing's happened. So part of that challenge is part of, part of that problem is they actually didn't map out what needs to be done over the next six months in the agreement when they were having these strategic conversations. That's, that's one thing. But then the second thing is they're not taking into account the actual boots on the ground who are having the real conversations with people. So how do you get them to buy into it and actually action? Um, you know, what am I trying to say here? Uh, do the things that you need them to do to be a good partner for you. So, you know, like a really simple example of this is like when I was at HP, uh, HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, and we were launching what we call multi-vendor services, multi-vendor support into the partner channel, which is basically where we would support IBM kit, Dell kit. Um, and, you know, we had the idea, it's like, why don't we just try and get our partners to push this for us? So I'd go to Ingram Micro and Exceed, like two of our distributors here and say, hey guys, do you think your reps would be able to push multi-vendor support to their clients? And they're like, mm, it's a bit of a stretch. Like there's not much in it for them. So I said, okay, what about if I gave them crazy cards? It's gave them like 10 bucks every time they did it or 20 bucks every time they did it. We did hundreds of thousands of multi-vendor support just from that like basic, really basic um, incentive. And, you know, for the reps, they didn't, for, you know, it was kind of crazy really because they were going out there selling to their IBM customers um, HP support. Um, and all it took was just a small Prezi card to change that behavior. Yeah, that's great. I, and I mean, it's so interesting because HP is the epitome of an engineering company yeah. that has, has sales folks there. So it's great that you took the initiative and did that because I've seen partner channels that have struggled too, because yeah, you're right, man, they, they format at the strategic level, but they never truly like internalize or think through like the tactical execution of it. So, mm. um, so what would you say are other big challenges? Like you said, you see the same consistent problems when you're going from a million to 15, like what are the top three that you see? Cool. So the first one was lack of, you know, not having a playbook, not having a common, like not actually mapping out how do you sell 
mm-hmm. and and thinking through that customer journey as well. You know, right from first point of contact through the sign on the dotted line through to looking after them long term. So mapping all of that out, documenting it, having a playbook, I'd say that's right up there. I'd say number two is um, processes and um, processes and infrastructure aligned to the strategy. Okay, so making sure that your sales processes, sales and revenue processes are there and that they're tight and they're figured out, um, making sure that your infrastructure infrastructure is set up in mm-hmm. the right way, aligned to that, but then also making sure that this the high level strategy is aligned down to like the tactical execution piece as well. And that's all all brought together. Um, and then the third piece would be probably just more general sales capability of founders and their teams. So certainly here in New Zealand, sales is not a profession. You know, it's not thought of as a profession. So, you know, if you speak to any rep or any sales leader in New Zealand, ask them how they got into it, they'll say by accident. Um, no one goes to study it at uni. You can't, there's no training, you know, really broadly in the, in the country around it. Um, so that's a massive gap is that there's a very big disparity between how people sell in this country. Um, so that would probably be the third thing is making sure that your teams are coached in a way, uh, in a way that, in a, in a, in a way to, on how to sell. Um, and ideally that they should all be selling the same way, you know, so they should all be using the same qualification metrics. They should be, you know, doing presentations yes they can use their own style and throw their own flavor on it but doing things in a in a um in a common way yeah i think I, you see those um, you see those same things at companies outside of that range too at least here i've, I've seen all oh, totally no playbook no consistent playbook um process or infrastructure is really supported and then same thing like the execution i think people are shifting especially with all the conversational intelligence pieces like, you know, Gong or Chorus or whatnot in that area because it used to be thought of like, oh, well, sales general capabilities is just an art. There's mm. no like specificity to it. And it's starting, I mean, obviously with all the data that we're starting to get behind it, it's becoming crystal clear that there is patterns, you know, that exist there. People respond really well to, and it's not mm. just all, you could do it off the top of your head type thing, you know? No. So... So Alex, what would you say is like your ninja skill when you're helping companies? Like, what would you say? I love using that term because everybody has a ninja skill um, that is successful. So what would you say is your number one ninja skill? I think I already kind of covered this one, but it's probably just my ability to go in and, and see, see the picture and kind of see how the organization is operating very quickly. So I can go in, see what's missing, see what's working well, and just know the right levers to pull. I'd say that's probably my ninja skill. And I guess the other side of that is just also how I'm able to work with, you know, different levels of an organization. So I can work with the founder and get, you know, build that trust there, but then I can also build trust with that rep and uncover things that the rep might not be telling their boss. That's actually a really big problem for the, for how they're doing their job or actually more broadly, how the company and sales function is operating. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of two answers. Um, but those would probably be the two, two ninja skills. I'm, I'm greedy. I took two. You took two. That's all right, man. You got two. <laughs> I'll give it to you. I'm sure you have more than one. 
if you work with 70 companies, I'm sure you got more than one, right? <laughs> so no, I, I think that's like, it's the same way in enterprise sales. Like when you are selling to really big companies, it's almost the same kind of capability where you have to be able to navigate up and down and horizontally to get to the real version of the truth, not just one person's version of the truth, right? Because it's always somewhere in between there. And sometimes the C-level won't know what the director or manager knows and vice versa. So it's really interesting dynamics. I could totally see that happening. So here's a crazy one I, I, I saw recently with a, with a client of mine. Um, I got chatting with the rep as part of like the right at the start of the engagement. I was just interviewing the, their, it was their first sales hire. I was interviewing them. They'd been there with the company for three years. And I was just asking her what it's like to work with the company, what's working, what's not working. And she found out, oh, there's no way for me to communicate with product and marketing effectively and efficiently because they have a fairly remote team a lot of time. There's not a way Mm -hmm. uh, for me to communicate with them around things we need or or, or basically transpired that she just wasn't telling those parts of the business about feedback she was getting from clients, prospective clients. Um, Um, Okay. And so this was going on for six months where she was hearing the same things again and again and again in terms of specific um, objections, put them that way, specific objections they were getting, um, but she wasn't feeding that up anywhere. Um, But that could have, but if she had, that could have absolutely solved one of their biggest objections for getting sales and massively increased their conversion. Um, and you know, it's, it's a twofold challenge, right? It's like one, the onus is on her. She wasn't saying anything, but also the onus is on senior leadership for not creating the environment and the kind of mechanism for where that feedback can go. Um, so, you know, the, I think that it's actually a really good bit of advice. Um, cause I've seen this again and again is sales leaders, founders, whoever's kind of running the team, they, what they what's really important is you need to create the environment and the mechanism for this, for your teams, the people boots on the ground to actually feed back up. Um, whether it's at the product marketing or any other part of the business, because otherwise things get missed. And, you know, especially if you have a rep who's maybe underperforming, um, yes, it could partially be on them, but it could also be partially on you because you haven't given them the resources they actually need. And they're just too scared to come and ask. That's a great point. Because the market doesn't lie, right? I mean, if the market wants what the market wants, so if if that feedback isn't getting there, that's I can totally see how that would happen, mm. uh, especially with different personalities, hierarchy, fiefdoms that people have. I mean, there's so many different ways where that that communication would break down. So, so all right, man, we're we're coming up on time, but I want to hit I want to hit my three for three to thrive at the end. So. Number one tip, how do you help companies or how would you help or advice for getting more customers for, for someone listening? Get more customers. Okay. Um, depends on where you're at in your business, but you know, figure out what's working in your sales process and your sales journey. Double down on the things that are working. Okay. So look really critically at how you're doing sales and that process and um, figure out what's working. Double down on those. And try and notice the gaps and plug the gaps. Um, I know that's kind of generic, but seriously, looking critically at how you do things is the best place to start. Okay. How about getting, getting customers to buy more frequently? 
anything that you've seen work exceptionally well to get customers to buy more frequently? More frequently? Um, nurture the relationship. So, you know, sell to your existing customers. You know, so look at upsells, look at cross sales. Um, a lot of a lot of companies forget to do that. Um, you know, they forget to check in with their customers and see what other challenges they could potentially solve for them. Um, so yeah, look first. Look in your existing base. It's often a really really good place to get people to buy more from you. Yeah, well, I think they get so enamored and focusing on like growing that they don't mm. think about growing within, like with the referrals, with the cross sales, with the upsells, and like. This is a crazy thing too. You'll see you'll see tech companies that have a 94% renewal rate or a 97% renewal rate without them even talking to the customer. Mm. Um, and then sometimes, you know, I'm like, well, imagine what would happen if we did talk to them. Not in terms right. of, you know, you'd increase it by a percentage rate, but imagine like you got so many happy customers sitting there waiting to refer you, waiting to buy more from you. Like you just got to talk to them, give them a little love, you know? <laughs> yeah. So um, last but not least, and this kind of, you kind of overlapped on the last one, but um, just getting customers to buy more from you. So I, I would take it anything else outside of just talking to them more, communicating more like we just hit on or would you say that? Um, get some structure around it. Like get some structure around how you talk to existing customers and maybe segment it. So it's, this is particularly if you have customers, you know, different size of customers. So you've got like your big ones, your medium size, and then your small ones. So figure out a ongoing customer relationship, customer success plan approach and segment it based on, um, you know, size is a really easy one to do, but make sure there is a plan, you know? So what you might want to look to do is if they're small and then, you know, maybe a couple hundred bucks a month kind of customer, you can automate a lot of that, but make sure they're hearing from you and that there's a mechanism where they can provide feedback and, and reach you if they want to. Maybe for those like middle-sized customers who have some good potential, maybe you check in with them once a quarter and actually have a phone call with them and see what's going on in their business. Look for opportunities to upsell or look for opportunities for where, how they could, um, how you could grow that account. And then for the bigger ones, maybe you're talking to them once a month. Um, but yeah, just make sure you've actually figured that out and it's not ad hoc that'll right. reduce your churn firstly but secondly it's going to help you get more out of your base yeah i think that's awesome great recommendations and it was awesome having you on before we leave can you tell everybody just where they could find you where they could uh learn more about what you're doing cool so you can find me on linkedin um alex mcnaughton i'm, I'm posting pretty regularly on there um so Find me on there. You can find my find my website, salesleaders.tech. Um, those are probably the two two best places. Two best places. Excellent. Well, hey man, it was awesome having you on. It's great talking as always, and I look forward to seeing you all on the next episode. Thanks, Ryan. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for spending the time with me today. I know that time is one of the most valuable resources, so I truly honor and appreciate you coming along this journey with me. One of the things that I wanna ask you is if you really truly enjoyed this and know someone that this can make an impact on, please share this episode with them. If you're on a journey for financial and lifestyle freedom, 
It is always exponentially better if we're building a tribe with like-minded people who are on the same journey. In addition, I have an amazing PDF for you that could be career changing in terms of the content. Essentially what it is are the top 10 questions that every big customer is asking behind closed doors that no one is telling you about. I'll put a link for it in the show notes. So check it out. It's my free gift for you for being a part of this launch and being a part of this journey with me. And I hope to see you soon.